For our Old Testament reading this morning, we uh, go to Psalm 103, verses 1 through 22. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us uh, to hear your word, to be those who have ears to hear. There are so many other words that are so tempting, but Lord, we know that your word is the true word that gives life. So Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your word above all others, that yours would be the standard by which everything else is judged. Lord, we ask that that your word and your spirit would work together in our lives today to change us more into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 103 of David. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. And then turning to our New Testament reading, Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, and then the explanation of the parable in 36 through 43. Uh, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. 
Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then down to the explanation. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I mentioned a bit ago, we are starting a new sermon series uh, this morning, and uh, this will actually take us on through Advent, even, up until Christmas. And uh, here's it's kind of where we're going with this. If I were to ask you to open your Bible to the book of Genesis, I guess most of you would know where to find that. It's towards the beginning. It's the first book. If I were to ask you uh, to open your Bible to the book of Psalms. I suspect you'd know how to get there. It's a pretty big book, and it's right there in roughly the middle. You open right to the middle, you're probably pretty close. And uh, if I were to ask you to open to Revelation, you may not want to, but you'd know where it is. <laughs> and it is a larger book at the very end of the Bible. And so um, there, are even the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are books that you are more familiar with, you know where to find them in your Bible, but there are also books that are less well-known, that are a bit more difficult to find. They are smaller. Uh, Not a lot of your favorite passages come from these, but they are books that are kind of like, you know, looking at David versus Goliath or versus David and his other brothers, and maybe not as impressive looking on the outside, and yet there's something there. Maybe like Bethlehem, or Nazareth, what good could come from there? And yet, <laughs> good comes from there. Uh, maybe like a mustard seed. It's so small that could never become anything worth anything. We are looking at, over the next uh, several weeks, some of these small, little books. We're starting with the smallest today. Uh, these little letters that should not be overlooked. These are in the Bible for a reason. They are the word of God as well. And uh, we ignore them uh, at our own, uh, to, our, to our own loss. So th- this morning, we're actually going to look at uh, a letter written by John. We just finished looking at the gospel that he wrote. Well, we're looking at the letter that he wrote, uh, uh, not First John, but Second John. I don't know how familiar you are with this one. It's not as well known as much of his other writings. But here we go. Second John doesn't even have more than one chapter. We're going to do the whole book today. Here we go. It's 13 verses. That's it. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. 
It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister who is chosen by God send their greetings. There you go. That's the whole book right there. And uh, to give you an idea of what was going on, what it was that was uh, necessitated the writing of this book, uh, this is later in John's life. This is decades after uh, where we left off the story last week of uh, John and Peter and Jesus walking down the, the beach, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it's been decades since then. And John is now very far away. He's far away in age. He's far away uh, in years. He's far away in geography. He is now um, likely up in the area around Ephesus, many, many miles from Galilee. And there, this week we are looking uh, on our Wednesday night, read scripture study. We're reading through the book of Acts and we're seeing how this happened how it is that the message went out from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it even goes to places like Ephesus. And so John ends up around there, and he knows of these churches who are in this area. And he knows the good, and he knows the bad. And he is writing this letter to a particular church when it says uh, to the lady uh, chosen by God, and to her children. (laughs) It's possible this was to a particular lady, although most scholars think it makes much more sense that he's referring to the church as the lady and the children as those who have come to Christ through her ministry. And so uh, he writes this letter to this church, and it's kind of like he is um, writing to... Well, if you ever watched a Little League baseball game and you've seen the the kid who's up to bat who just can't seem to ever hit the ball because the kids on the other team are yelling stuff at him. (laughs) And it takes him off what he's supposed to be doing. And so it's like if you imagine the coach kind of comes out to him and just kind of takes him by the shoulders and says, Hey, bud, keep your eye on the ball. Don't listen to them. Ignore what they're doing. Ignore what they're saying. They're going to keep yelling. I'm not going to go make them stop. They're going to keep yelling. You keep your eye on the ball. That's the kind of letter that John is writing to this church. A church where he sees that there are some of them that are walking in the truth. They're doing what they are supposed to be doing. But he also sees that there's this uh, 
this other group. There are people who are coming and who are teaching things that are not right. And he says, because of this, you've got to watch out and you've got to stay the course. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. So we're going to take this actually in um, kind of a, a weird order. We're going to look at first what the danger is and then second what the answer is. And so uh, first is the danger where he starts in verse 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Great. Like it wasn't a weird enough week already. Now we're going to talk about the antichrist. <laughs> but what is it that he's talking about? In, uh, he's talking about people who are going around, who are part of the churches. Like they've been part of the church, but now they're going around and they're teaching something different. What they're teaching is that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. And what they do by doing this is they, um, they are taking the truth of who Jesus is and they are changing that. And by changing it, you make it not uh, what is true. And so it becomes less central. It doesn't even need to be central. Who, who needs a Jesus like that? And so he kind of goes off to the side and you can kind of fill in the central part with something else now. This is the danger. And in fact, uh, when we look at this term uh, antichrist in Greek, you can translate it as uh, against Christ, which of course that would be. But it also can be translated as instead of Christ. As those people are putting something else in the place that is reserved for Christ alone. And when you do that, guess what? That is against Christ. And this is, um, this is the problem, the perpetual problem. It's always a problem that every generation has of wanting to change the message, to change who Jesus is, to put him off to the side and follow for something else. This is the danger. This is what John is warning against. Um, and it's not that what they were saying, that these teachers were saying, was all wrong. In fact, partly right, except that, as uh, Ravi Zacharias always used to say, a half-truth that you make into the whole truth becomes an untruth. A half-truth made into the whole truth becomes an untruth. This is what they were doing. They were taking, you know, some of the uh, sayings of Jesus and saying, you know, those are still fine, but let's not... Let's not think he actually came and in a human flesh and blood body and died on a cross. That's, that's kind of icky. Let's you know, move on past that. And John says, no. <laughs> There's no moving on past that. There's no denying what Jesus actually did and who he actually was. And who better to <laughs> make uh, this case than someone who leaned back against him at the Last Supper, who walked along with him, who ate with him, who shared meals uh, who saw when John writes in his first letter, first uh, John, he actually opens it by saying that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. <laughs> John's like, I know that he came in the flesh. And there are people who are saying that he didn't, and they are just flat wrong. 
And so what John is arguing for is a holding to the truth. And I don't know if you noticed how often he uses the word truth as we go through here, but in those first few verses, uh, to the lady chosen by God and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. Good grief. It's like he wants us to care about what's true or something. (laughs) right? That comes through. That's pretty plain. And, uh, and here's the thing. I suspect everybody uh, hears that and goes, amen, yes, because we are people who love the truth, right? And I have bad news for you. We don't. Naturally, we, do, we don't love the truth. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example of this. And for those of you who don't uh, care anything about football, stay with me. I think you'll still follow this example. If you go home today and you're watching some football on TV and you have your team that you are rooting for and you see the other team is clearly holding and the ref isn't calling it, that upsets you, doesn't it? You might even start yelling at the TV, why aren't you calling this? This is... and. Somebody asks you about it, questions you on it. Why are you yelling at the TV? And it's, I am taking a stand for what is right in the world. (laughs) This is clearly unjust. And we need to go by what is true and right. And what is true is that they were holding it. He didn't call it. (laughs) And so we think that we stand up for what's true. However, switch the roles. Your team's holding. They don't call it. Do you get the same uh, level of upset? They need to be calling it. Our team is clearly holding. Why are you not calling that? No, you don't get upset about that. Why not? (laughs) Because we think we care about what's true, and really what we care about is advantage. We care about the part of the truth that makes us look good, and we care about the part of the truth that makes our opponents look bad. But that's not the same thing as caring about the truth. That's caring about advantage. And that's what we do naturally. And I say we. I'm not saying like, hey, you do that and I got this all figured out. No, this is what we do. (laughs) And what John is calling us to is something different. To actually be people of the truth. It's actually one of the reasons why every Sunday when we gather together, we don't just talk about the parts that we like and say, God loves us. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Amen. Go home. But we also have to admit and confess our own sinfulness. That yes, God loves us. But he doesn't love us because of how great we are. He loves us in spite of how sinful we are. And so we admit the whole of it. That Christ died for us while we were still sinners. The whole of it. Uh, It's the reason why we preach through whole books of the Bible. To take the whole of it uh, and not just the parts that we want to. Because what we want to do is just deal with the parts that we like. So that is the danger. Um, And what John says, though, is when we do this with Jesus, when we make 
a half-truth, the whole truth about Jesus, it becomes an untruth, and we become those who are not in the Holy Spirit, but those who have the spirit of the Antichrist. That's what we're fostering. And when he talks about don't... Um, well, let me get this out of order. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> when he says... Uh, not to bring this teaching. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. What's he talking about? He's writing to a whole church. And he's saying, as a church, we need to not be giving a platform for people who are preaching something other than the truth of Jesus. And he's not just talking about in a sanctuary, but among Christians. That's who is the church. And I suspect if you're writing this today, he would include our interactions online. Let's not give a platform for things that are not the truth of Christ. So what is, um, which, by the way, this is what, uh, I'm talking about the Antichrist kind of stuff. This is what Tim Keller talks about, has talked about for years, of uh, disordered loves and talking about when you take anything that is a really good thing that may be a very very good thing if we make it an ultimate thing it becomes an idol and so if we replace jesus with anything else put anything else above him it will let us down and when it does we will be devastated but if we have jesus at that central place in our lives he will not let us down (laughs) And we will not be devastated, even if we have to experience the loss of everything else, which, if we're honest with ourselves, we know we will, at some point, lose everything else. But if we still have Jesus, we are not lost. No matter how hard those griefs may be. Um, so what, this is, we spent a good bit of time here on Uh, the negative side of things, what's the answer? (laughs) What is the answer to this? Because John is not just writing saying, this is what's going on in the church. This is what needs to be avoided. He actually gives um, how to avoid this. And this is when he says, verse verse 5, And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. This is it. This is the answer. It is completely counter-cultural. It is completely counter-intuitive. But this is the way of Jesus. This is the command that Jesus gave. When we think, okay, well, what is it? What are the commands that God has given to us? Well, there are a whole bunch of them, right? And Jesus said, yeah. And they all hang on these two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, if we don't have that right... It doesn't matter what else we think we have right. We don't have that right either. These are 
the commands. When it talks about walking in Christ, it's talking about walking in the love of Christ, the love that he has for us that he's called us to have for each other. If you look at John 13 through 17, where Jesus is uh, talking with his disciples in the upper room the night before he goes to the cross, and he really, really, really wants them to know what it is that they are to do now. What is the thing that comes back again and again? It's a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another. That's the thing. This is what it looks like to walk in, um, in the truth of Jesus, is to walk in love. His command is that you walk in love. If you read through John 13 through 17, it comes back again and again that this is what he's commanding. 15, 12, 15, 17. Again and again. And then Paul, in writing about uh, this love, this love that Jesus says, you know, greater love has no one than this, they lay down their life for their friends. And I call you friends. He says, I'm going to lay down my life for your good. And that's what he says it means to be his disciples, to be those who are laying down their lives for others. And in case we try to get ourselves off the hook and be like, well, he's just saying like one another, like we're just supposed to love each other in the church and not everybody else because those people are our enemies. Good thing he didn't say anything about loving enemies, right? Oh, wait, whoops. <laughs> yeah, he totally said that. But this is, this is the way. This is the way that is so countercultural and counterintuitive. And, uh, but this is what Paul comes back to in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's talking about gifts in chapter 12, and people being jealous of, oh, you've got this gift, I've got, I don't, I don't have that, I've only got this other. He says, it doesn't matter what gift you have. If you don't have love, you have nothing. And then he goes through and explains what this kind of love looks like, the kind of love that we're talking about. And it's not a matter of just saying, oh, everything's okay when it's not okay. But it is a love that is patient, that is kind, that does not envy that does not boast, that is not proud, that does not dishonor others, that is not easily angered, that keeps no record of wrongs, that does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is what John is pleading with his churches to keep, when he says, keep your eye on the ball, this is the ball he's talking about. The truth and the love of Jesus Christ. The truth of who Jesus is in all his fullness. The central place that he ought to have in our lives and the way that our lives should be shaped by his love in everything that we do. Now, is John telling us what to do here? No. But he's definitely telling us how we do what we do. And he does say that grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, 
will be with us in truth and love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.